provoking one another unto love and good works. Uh, Lord, bless the lesson tonight. Be with those that are sick, those awaiting surgeries. Uh, Father, just uh, be with those that are shut in, not able to get out right now. And we pray for all the children, uh, Lord, upon the grounds. Uh, Lord, here on Sunday school and different times. And uh, may God greatly bless them and help them tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right. Uh, the name of this lesson, I guess if I had a name for it, uh, would be Reasons for Rejoicing. Uh, reasons for uh, Rejoicing. And uh, in the day that we're living in, and really in any day, uh, if we're going to find any reason for rejoicing, we're going to have to find it in the things of God. Amen. And uh, the world never has been uh, uh, too good to help us rejoice uh, in the things of the world uh, because uh, this world hates Jesus Christ. This world's against Christ. Uh, this world, uh, as uh, uh, the song said, uh, we don't need to get adjusted to this world because uh, it's not our home tonight. Amen. And yet we see so many today in our day uh, not only just the people in the pews, but in the pulpits and evangelists and, uh, and just missionaries and people in general, uh, we find people that uh, are discouraged, depressed, uh, and maybe a little more so than uh, what we might normally find. Now, the book of Philippians uh, is a book that uh, is written by the Apostle Paul. Philippians takes its name from the famous uh, King Philip, and he was the father of Alexander the Great. Now, you may have never heard of King Philip, but you probably did hear of Alexander the Great, and uh, that's where this city is named after. Spiritually, uh, this book, it begins in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Philippians begins in the book of Acts. Uh, ten years before this, uh, we find the Apostle Paul in the uh, 16th chapter of the book of Acts. We find the Apostle Paul there. And uh, in verse 6, it said, uh, this is Paul speaking, Now when they had gone throughout uh, Pergia, Luke's writing, in the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Sometimes the Holy Ghost will forbid you from doing something that seems like it's right, uh, but uh, you ever heard people, I've, I've made this statement myself, I've heard other people make it, I wanted to do this, but the Lord wouldn't let me. Uh, you, ever, you ever said that, or had that happen? Well, that's what Paul's doing here. He wants to, uh, he wants to go throughout Pergamum and the region of Galatia, but the Holy Ghost wouldn't let him. And he said in verse 7, After they were come to Mysa, they essayed to go to Bethany, but the Spirit suffered them not. And it's almost like it makes me think of, of uh, trying to guide a, uh, some type of, uh, of livestock or animal. And you know how you get on the side of them, try to get them to go in the chute or the barn or wherever you're trying to put them. It's like the Holy Ghost hemmed in Paul. And uh, sometimes the Holy Ghost will hem you in. And uh, you can't get out of it. Uh, a lot of times, and you probably experienced this, I know I have over the years, a lot of times when I would have maybe uh, faltered and, and maybe give up, 
the Holy Ghost had me hemmed in. I was already committed to some things that uh, I had to do, so uh, I couldn't I couldn't go that way. And that's maybe not a good illustration, but uh, sometimes uh, the Spirit of God uh, He will just kind of hem you in and drive you in a certain direction that is the will of God. And said, after a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now remember, this is before the completion of the Bible. And God can still send a vision if He wants to. Uh, you may have had one, and I wouldn't say it wasn't true. I'd only say it wasn't true if it didn't line up with what's already written in the Word of God. Amen. Uh, but he said, uh, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and there stood a man over Macedonia and prayed to him, saying, Come over unto Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, he endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. And then we find him in verse 12, And from thence they went to Philippi, the city of Philippi, where the book of Philippians is wrote to. And this is where it all started. Now, what we're reading tonight in the book of Philippians is ten years after the fact. So if you were to ask Paul, what happened over there in Philippi while you was over there? Paul might have said, well, not much. We had a, we had a lady get saved in a prayer meeting, and, uh, and we had one jailer get right with God, and it didn't much happen. But ten years later, there's a great church there. I remember Brother Chris, when his family was singing, I remember one time they had a great singing group, and uh, they could have really done something if they'd have wanted to, and the, and the family, you know, all stayed together. They had great harmony, and uh, we were at our church, the End Brotherhood Church. We were packed out every Sunday. We were setting out chairs, and and the family would sing every Sunday, and it was people getting saved and shouting. And I mean, that's just my memory of back then. But I remember him going to preach a revival when Pam was about five years old, and uh, I've heard Pam tell this singing. But in that revival, not much happened. But somewhere during the revival, little five-year-old Pam came to the altar and got saved. And uh, nothing was said of it. Uh, preacher didn't even recognize it at the end of the week. And as a matter of fact, he made the statement. He said, well, he said, uh, we had revival, but there didn't much happen and nobody got saved. Well, uh, about ten years after that, Pam's grown up. She's about 15 now. God's using her all over the place. And uh, they go back and sing in that church. And Pam got to singing. And uh, people got to shout and come to the altar and get saved. And, and uh, I mean, it's just great. And uh, when it was all over, the preacher got up and he said, Well, thank God for Sister Pam and how God has used her tonight. And uh, certainly God's hand is upon her. And of course, uh, being Brother Chris, being Brother Chris, uh, he just had to get up, and he said, uh, "Yes, sir, Pastor." Said that's little, that little girl in that revival when nobody got saved. Said that's that little girl. Uh, so don't ever, don't ever try to estimate what God's doing by what you see today. Uh, what you see today, uh, probably, uh, probably, uh, if you'd uh, talk to somebody the week that uh, D. L. Moody got saved, and uh, somebody may ask that shoe salesman said uh, well how did how'd your week go today and he might have said well 
it's all right, said, uh, led one little boy to the Lord. And uh, that's D.L. Moody, shook two continents for God. Uh, so uh, the point I'm trying to make is, is, is what we're studying here tonight is ten years after the fact. Lydia got saved, and uh, God knows who to save and when. Uh, verse 14 said, Lydia was a seller of purple. That's expensive stuff. The rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen. It was made uh, a real expensive dye to make that purple color. And uh, so Lydia uh, was a seller of that purple, so Lydia was probably in the books. And uh, when she got saved, she was a financer for Paul and this work as it began to start. Well, the next person got saved is in verse 25 through verse 30, and that Philippian jailer got saved. Well, you couldn't ask for much better to get saved than somebody with some money to fund the work and somebody in a legal position to guide you through the, the uh, official parts of the work. And so uh, that's where the, the uh, book of Philippi originates from there. Philippians has been called the sweetest epistle Paul ever wrote. He wrote it from Rome. And don't forget this, he wrote it from Rome in a prison. Now put the two together. The sweetest, the sweetest epistle Paul ever wrote is wrote from a prison. Now, it is referred to by some as the 23rd Psalm of the New Testament. The 23rd Psalm of the New Testament. It's, a, it's also called a prison epistle. Paul wrote several of his epistles from prison, and uh, this is one of them. And it's also the 50th book of the Bible. The 50th book of the Bible. 50 is the number of jubilee. What a great jubilee Paul's having here in a prison. There is no, uh, this epistle's different from uh, the others. There is no doctrine to correct as in other epistles. Paul doesn't have to correct anybody's doctrine. Uh, there ain't nobody teaching the Lord's already come. Ain't nobody teaching you can lose your salvation. Uh, Paul does not have to correct any errors in doctrine. Uh, this tells you they're a good Bible-believing church. Uh, there are no uh, errors to correct, as in First and Second Corinthians. Uh, in other words, nobody there is, if you know your Bible, nobody there is sleeping with their father's wife. Oh yeah, that's in the Bible. That's in First Corinthians. Uh, Paul writes them, and in uh, chapter 5, and then he, he goes on, the man actually gets right with God. Can you imagine that? Some folks cannot forgive folks in the church that have got drunk or that have uh, smoked dope or that have uh, run around. Here's a man that was sleeping with his stepmother, more than likely, and yet the church forgive him. You read the whole thing, you got back right with God. That's, that's Corinthians. But Paul had to deal with that. Paul doesn't have to deal with anything like that uh, in Philippians. 
There's no legality that Paul has to deal with like in Galatians. In Galatians, Paul said somebody's preaching another gospel. And uh, Paul has to deal with that. Uh, some people are teaching that you're only saved if you do certain things. Paul doesn't have to deal with that in Philippians. No issues to refudiate as in the book of Colossians. No. Here is not found written letters of the law that kills. 1 Corinthians 3 and 6. The Bible said the letter killeth. If you ever go to a real legalistic church, I mean legalistic, uh, the women cannot cut their hair. All the dresses have got to be to the floor. Uh, nobody can wear wire rim glasses. Yes, there's people that teach that kind of stuff. And if you ever go to one of them, they'll be the deadest place you've ever been in your life. You say, why? Because the law killeth. But if you go where there's some morality, uh, people's taught to live right and do right, uh, but yet there's liberty in the Lord, You'll find a church where there's life and the Spirit of God is there. Amen. And so, uh, this letter here is not the law that kills, but it is written in the living life of the Spirit of God, and the fruit of it is joy. There's only one problem alluded to in the book of Philippians as far as the congregation is concerned. And it's found in chapter uh, 4 and uh, verse uh, 2. And he said, I beseech thee, Eudeus, and beseech thee, Synthesis, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. There were two ladies in the church that couldn't agree. How would you like... How would you like if he still done it that way? How would you like that if I went away and I wrote back a letter, and they'd take those letters and they'd read them before the whole congregation. How would you like it if, if I read the letter and I said, uh, and I'm just making up names, Sister Sue and Sister Wanda, they can't agree about anything. They can't get along. How would you like that to be the only negative thing said in four chapters of a letter? Well, that's the only thing Paul could say. He said there's two ladies there that they can't really get along. Uh, the name Jesus Christ or Christ occurs 38 times in four chapters. 38 times we find the, the word Jesus or Christ. 38 times. When Jesus Christ dominates your life or your letter, when Jesus Christ dominates your life or your letter, what is going to follow is joy and rejoicing, which is mentioned 16 times. 16 times in the letter. I am afraid that we want to have joy and we want to have rejoicing without Jesus Christ dominating our life. You see, when Jesus Christ dominates our life, He's the main thing of our life, our family, our home. 
then what we find is we find joy and rejoicing. But, as I said, we want to rejoice, but we want to dominate our life. That's why we have... That's why we have so many people have no joy whatsoever. That's why you have a, a half of a congregation that never testifies or rejoices. You say, why? Because they dominate their life. They decide what they want to do. They decide if they're going to church Sunday morning, if they're going to attend Sunday school. If they're, it's not even a decision. They've already made up their mind. I'm not going on Wednesday night and I'm not going on Sunday night. But they want to come on Sunday morning and they want to have rejoicing. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You see, we, we say uh, what we have uh, we might say tonight, well, Brother Rick, have you looked around lately? Have you watched the news? Do you ever listen to the radio? Do you ever pay attention to what's going on? I mean, what do we have to rejoice about? We have a corrupt government. We have a COVID pandemic. Have you noticed the church attendance? It's off and falling off. Have you noticed uh, groceries and gas is on the increase? Christians are falling away Christian liberties are threatened and being taken away. What do we have to rejoice and have joy about? Well, I want to tell you, Paul in A.D. 53 faced some of these and more. Don't forget, you might want to make a little note there, again, Paul's in a prison cell. Paul's in a prison cell with no sign of being released. And yet Paul in his four-page letter, Paul in these four chapters, 104 verses, 2,002 words, Paul's main theme is joy and rejoicing. We need to read this little book. Brother Eddie, go ahead. I seen your hand. I just couldn't stop right there. If you're right with the Lord. If you're not right with the Lord, to be around the Lord only makes you more miserable. Right. Have you ever looked around on a Sunday morning and seen somebody and thought to yourself, they're miserable, they'd rather be anywhere else? You're probably exactly right. Because you're not going to be full of joy and rejoicing if your life is not right with God. It's not because of me, but it's because of the Spirit of God that convicts our heart because He wants us to get right so we can have joy and rejoicing. Amen? All right, I want to give you five things tonight that uh, we can rejoice in. And the only way we're going to be able to rejoice in this day we're living in is we're going to have to not make our joy and rejoicing about this world. There's nothing in this world going on tonight that I know of that's going to give me any joy or make me rejoice. 
all of my joy and all of my rejoicing has to be found in the spiritual realm. Paul's in prison. Certainly nothing there to make him rejoice. And Paul's going to trial and and we know how that all ends out. Nothing there to make him rejoice. But he has joy. But every bit of the joy he has is in the spiritual realm. You understand what I'm saying? You see where we're going with this? Alright, number one, we can rejoice in the fellowship of the saints. Look at Philippians 1. And look at verse 3 through verse 11. I thank my God upon every remembrance of Joe Biden. I thank my God upon every remembrance of even Donald Trump. None of that stuff can bring joy or rejoicing. But he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. You, 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 you. He's talking about people in the church. And he said, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making, watch this, requests with joy. In other words, it's not a burden to have to pray for your fellow believers. It's a privilege. It's a joy. Somebody call you and say, Hey, would you pray for me? Or, or you to call somebody and say, I need, I need some extra prayer today. That's, that's a joy. Paul said that brings me joy to be able to pray for folks. Because most of the time I can't do anything but pray. But I have joy. I can do that. Paul is, is joicing. He's thanking God. And, and uh, let me not leave this little two-letter word out. It's very important. He said, I thank my God. My God. That makes a big difference if you can say, my God. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you while we all have people and places we just as soon forget tonight. There's people we've met down through life, people we're dealing with right now, that we had just soon Forget them. But let us turn often to the book of memory that's in our mind that will awaken joy and cause us to pray and have joy in it. Paul said here, always in every prayer, it is a joy to do so. Making requests with joy. It's a joy to say, Hey, Brother David, could we pray for Jack Tripp tonight? It's a joy to be able to say, Hey, Brother Jack, we need to pray, or Brother David, we need to pray for some folks tonight that need help. And it's a joy to go back there and to be able to pray, or to pray out here, or to pray in your closet, or to pray wherever you are. Christian fellowship. Fellowship has been defined as two or more people or fellows in the same ship, believing the same things, Traveling in the same direction. Tonight I can have joy here with y'all because we're all in the same ship. We got fellowship. We're all pretty much believing the same thing. We're all pretty much, uh, we're all headed in the same direction. We're going to heaven someday when this 
things over with. Amen? And uh, so we can rejoice in that. Number two, look at Philippians 1 and verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, We can rejoice in the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. Brother David Lowe called me yesterday morning rejoicing. And he was rejoicing because uh, at Mount Pisgah they was having a revival, different preachers in, and uh, the preacher's little girl got saved. And he said, Brother Rick, I want to call you and I want to give you some good news. And he told me about that little girl that got saved. Last night, Ronnie Ladero was in my recliner. Ronnie, Ronnie Ladero uh, messaged me uh, by audio phone. And I answered it. And he said, Brother Rick, did you get my message? And he said, we've had a lot of people saved since we got into the new church and baptized. And I said, praise the Lord, because we... We give $15,000 to the rebuilding of that new church. And, and it's a blessing to know that that money has been used for the furtherance of the gospel. And we can rejoice in that tonight. Uh, the Philippians have been troubled. They're troubled about the news of this missionary Paul who has been in prison. And they think the work has stopped. Uh, they think that uh, the work of God is suffering. But Paul writes them this letter in verse 13. He said, So that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. In other words, Paul's saying the gospel is still going out. Uh, We couldn't rejoice during COVID and lockdowns and quarantines, but we could rejoice every now and then we'd hear somebody got saved over the internet Somebody got saved at the hospital. Somebody got saved in their home. And we could rejoice over the fact that if somebody's getting saved, that means the gospel is going out. Uh, We rejoice. That's why I read missionary letters on Wednesday night. Because we may not have anybody here saved at the time, but we read of these missionaries that we're taking up money, we're supporting uh, every month we're part of a larger group that is supporting the furtherance of the gospel. Amen. And we rejoice when David Epps has prisoners saved. We rejoice when people are saved in Haiti. We rejoice when people are saved in the Philippines. So uh, we, we need to make our rejoicing in the fact and the fact that the gospel is going out. The gospel's going out. Thank God. They had to stop that. Uh, we still preach on the radio every Sunday. Uh, every day, King of Kings puts the gospel out. Amen. They would like to stop it, but they hadn't been able to. The gospel's still going out. Uh, churches are still open. They would like to shut us down, but they haven't shut us down. Amen. They would like to muzzle us, but they haven't muzzled us. Amen. And thank God the gospel is still going out. I think sometimes the reasons we don't rejoice over this is our lack of love for the gospel. And our lack of love for souls. Amen. I mean, this is Paul's passion. This is what he lives for. 
And I think we live in a world where that we've got caught up in so many other worldly things and fleshly things and, and we have so many pleasures to bring us pleasure that oftentimes we forget that as a child of God our main pleasure has to be in the furtherance of the gospel and seeing people get saved. Now, do you show someone, uh, you see, uh, it's... It's our familiarity with the gospel. We hear it every Sunday. We're, we're what they call gospel hardened. Sometimes we preachers and evangelists and even Christians, sometimes we're a little reluctant to say that Christ died for sin. Uh, if you believe Jesus Christ, you can be saved because we've said it over and over and over again, but yet there should never be a sermon preached. We should never meet that what somewhere during the course of that meeting that we say Christ died for our sins. Amen. You see, it's our familiarity with the gospel. People in other countries are not as familiar with it as we are. It's our faulty fruit over the years. We've seen so many, when the gospel was preached, come down to the altar, said they got saved, said they believed on the Lord. And then maybe they last a few weeks. Some of them never even come back period. And it gets us to the place where that we think because that there's some fruit out there that's faulty, that all the fruit is faulty. Someone said, Brother Rick, Brother Epps has them people saved at prison, but said all that is is jailhouse religion. Well, I've seen some folks get saved at the church. What do you call that? Church house religion. They didn't come back either. But oh, I thank God tonight that, uh, that I can look out tonight and I can see some folks. I can look back there and see a Rondell Harrison tonight. Uh, I'm glad, that, thank God, that I, I can look around and see an Eddie Wade. And I can look around and I can see some folks that have remained. And my rejoicing has to be in the fact that there is some that remain. And we have to think on that. Let me ask you a question. When folks come to your house about the time of garden coming in, do you say, hey, come here, I want to show you my rotten tomatoes. Hey, come on back out of here. I, I want to show these tomatoes. They're, they've got black spots on them. They're rotten and they're falling off the vine. No, you don't do that. You get your big prize red tomato. You say, come here, I want you to look what I did. Look what I've grown here. Why do we make a habit of pointing out the bad fruit in the church instead of the good fruit in the church? Why do we say so-and-so, they're out of church, they left church, they're back out in the world? Why don't we say, there's Eddie Wade, he's pastoring a church now. I remember when he got saved 30 years ago, wherever how long ago it's been. Amen? There's Ronald Harrison back there. Why, he's been serving God, and he's a trustee, and he's been in the church. and That's the folks that we need to point out in our mind. And then like Paul, we can have reasons for rejoicing. Amen. 
when uh, we read these missionary letters of people getting saved, we should rejoice. You rejoice when a baby's born. Brianna brought that little baby in here and everybody's rejoicing. We've had a lot of babies in here and everybody rejoices when a baby's born. But you know who rejoices the most when that baby's born? The ones that mothered it, of course. And not only that, but those that are close akin, those that are in the same family, those that have a part of prayer in it. You know why sometimes the church don't rejoice anymore like I remember it rejoicing 40 years ago? It's because we don't have a part in these babies being born like we used to. Used to, we'd make it known, hey, we got four people in the church that's lost. We need to all be praying. And we all get to praying like when Eli Jolly got saved. He was, he was the last lingering teenager. And we all was praying for him. Boy, did we have a time when he got saved that morning. You say, why? We were all a part of that. We were all praying for it. We were all expecting it. We were all doing all we could to help it. That's the way our church ought to be on Sunday morning. Our first concern when we get here and church starts on Sunday morning should not be, and I don't think it is, should not be what people's got on. It should not even be who's not here. Our first concern on Sunday morning ought to be, is there any lost people here? We need to focus on that. We need to get in one accord. And even though there's preaching and singing going on in our mind, the main thing going on ought to be we got lost people here. Amen. And then when somebody gets saved, we'd rejoice. Amen. All right, I'm running out of time. Let me give you two more real quick. Three more. Okay, we rejoice in the faithful. That kind of goes along with what I just said. And that's found in Philippians 2, verse 17 through 30. Paul says, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly. That's a faithful one. He has served with me, verse 22. Verse 25, Eradius, my brother, my fellow soldier, my companion in the labors. Now notice, this is a cause for joy in verse 18. The Bible said, For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with you all. Isn't it true often, often, that we think more about who's not here than we do who is here? I can promise you the devil works on your preacher that way. And I have to remind myself to not get down because who's not here, but to get up and encouraged and rejoice because of who is here. You see, even Paul, you say, well, Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and 10, you said, Paul said, Demas hath forsaken me. Yes, he did say that. Paul's human. But notice how quick he follows up with verse 11. Luke's here. Demas is gone, but Luke's here. Notice in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 4, Paul's human. Paul said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. But notice how quickly he checks himself in verse 17. Notwithstanding, the Lord's with me. The Lord's with me. Isn't it true that 
We should, we, we, we should make it a habit to be thankful for the ones who stayed instead of strayed. The one who is helping instead of hindering. What we have, not what we've lost. That's what Paul did. Number four, we should rejoice in the fact of the Lord's nearness. Look in Philippians 4 and 5. The Lord is at hand. Lord's right here. Lord's right there. Lord's right there. Lord's right here. You say, I thought that meant the Lord's coming. It might, but it also means the Lord is at hand. Well, that's the reason for rejoicing. We should rejoice in the fact that Christ is there always to help. Now, get this statement if you don't get anything else I've said. He is not so much there to keep things from happening. Things are going to happen. We're in a cursed world, living in a cursed body. Things have got to happen. Don't get in your mind that Jesus is there to keep things from happening. If you do, you'll be discouraged when they do happen. But get this in your mind. He is not there to keep things from happening that will happen to us all, but to help us when they do happen. He's at hand to help us when they do happen. He's there to help you. Let Him. Notice prayer and faith brings the peace of God in verse 8. Chapter 4. I'm in chapter 4. And uh, and I'm in verse 7. Verse 6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving. You've already remembered in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Looks what follows in verse 7. And the peace of God. Not only the peace of God, but notice the perseverance of your heart and mind. What's going to keep your heart and mind in this crazy world we're living in? Prayer. And committing everything to Jesus Christ. I'm not boasting. And I ain't where I want to be yet. But I've made a big habit. Of falling on my knees. As quick as I can. When something happens. You say why? The Lord is at hand. He's right there with you, folks. He's there to help you. He's not there to keep things from coming that's going to hurt you, but He's there to help you when they do come. Look for Him. Rely on Him. Talk to Him. Number five. I've got two minutes. Rejoice in the funding of your supplies. Philippians 4 And verse 10, Paul said, But I rejoice in the Lord, watch it, greatly. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Remember, he's in prison. Remember, he's not sending out for Big Macs and fries. He's probably on bread and water. 
But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now your care of me have flourished. Oh my, if Paul can rejoice greatly in prison, you and I ought to be able to rejoice in what most of the world would consider where we live, a palace. A palace. If people over in India or China or Iraq, if they were to come and live in your house this week, they would have thanked they had already went to heaven. And if you'd went to their house and lived with them, you'd have thought you'd already went to hell. We rejoice in what God has provided. Now in closing, we see three things. We see the state that sometimes leads us to rejoicing. Paul said, I learned this. I learned this. COVID made me rejoice for some things that I used to never rejoice for. Amen? Amen. Surely you're that way too. The lack of some things that we had an abundance of makes us more rejoicing in what we have now than we did. And I really think part of why that this thing has happened is because even the church had become in these perilous days unthankful. Amen. We rejoice we get to come to church and have Wednesday night and, and all these things that are going on. You say, what are you saying? Sometimes what's, sometimes what's left after everything else is gone, provokes and increases our rejoicing. Our rejoicing. Paul's got nothing now, but he's thankful for everything. The source, where did it all come from? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. We can rejoice in knowing it's not me that's getting me through. The strength's coming from somewhere else. And you can never know that till you run out of strength. When all your strength is gone and you can't even lift a finger, but yet you find an inward strength, you know where it's coming from. Makes you thankful. Amen. Paul said, we can rejoice in knowing it's not me that can do all things, but it is I as I do all things through Christ. I find out it ain't me doing it. Couldn't be me. I'm too weak to do anything. The one who bore the heaviest cross of all that was ever bore will help me bear mine. You help me bear yours. Last thing, Philippians 4.19, Paul said, But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I can rejoice in who my supplier is. My supplier is not the government. My supplier is not food line. My supplier is not IGA. My supplier is Jesus Christ. And He is, circle it, my God, and He shall supply all your need. 
according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We may be on the brink of another depression. We may certainly be on the brink of an economical collapse. But I'm glad that my God and your God has promised to provide us food and raiment and shelter. Amen. So I can rejoice in that. And I've heard people say it during this last two years. I'm just trusting God. He's going to take care of us. No matter what happens, things will happen. But God's still God. And He's going to supply every need that you and I have. You say so. So what do you think about that? I think we ought to end up with uh, Philippians. Philippians 4 and verse 4 tonight is the last verse that we're going to leave on our mind tonight. What does it say? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Paul says rejoice and then just rejoice. Just do it again. But remember, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you rejoice in spiritual things. Right. Amen. Father, thank you tonight for the...